everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, I'm really glad to be here and that you have joined us. The 2020 election was pretty much a disaster for Republicans, at least on a national level. They lost control of the White House and the Senate, and they failed to take back the U.S. House of Representatives. After the election, supporters of Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to prevent the election from even being certified, leading to five deaths and more than 140 people injured. Now, that's the kind of situation that should inspire some really deep soul-searching and reflection in any major political party. But Republicans really haven't shown much interest in going in a different direction. And as my next guest votes notes, uh, GOP Chair Ronna Romney McDaniel decided not to order a postmortem on the 2020 election to see where the party might have gone wrong. Politico's Zach Stanton says Romney McDaniel could have simply looked in her own backyard in the county where she grew up, Oakland County here in Michigan. Stanton's most recent piece in Politico takes a close look at how Oakland County's political shift leading up to the 2020 election demonstrates Republicans' really deep problems in suburban America, especially with the voters who used to reliably go for GOP candidates in the past. That's where we begin the conversation today with our own backyard here in Southeast Michigan, Oakland County. What happened leading up to the 2020 election, what happened during that election, and what it kind of forecasts for politics in the future, both at the national level and at the local level. I want to welcome Zach Stanton, who's deputy editor of Politico's Playbook, to Detroit Today. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So the title of your piece is actually a quote from uh, a Republican who represented Troy in the State House from 2012 to 2018. Uh, what did you hear from him and other longtime Republicans in Oakland County about why they think the party struggled and might continue to struggle there? Sure. So, you know, what I heard from in that particular quote from Martin Hauerlach, who used to be a state representative, as you said, from Troy. What I heard from him and many other Republicans is that they really feel that the party nationally has lost track of the type of politics, the type of message that wins in a place like Oakland County, that they've lost touch with these voters who traditionally have been a strong part of the Republican coalition, and that during the Trump years, as it's been very difficult for any Republican to have an identity separate from Donald Trump, where Trump has become sort of the alpha and omega of what it means to be a Republican, that has presented real problems for Republicans down ticket in places like Oakland County. And th- these problems, as you know, would seem to some observers to be something that happened overnight, right? Uh, that, right. that all of a sudden Oakland is blue. But the change, as you say, is less the flip of a switch than a stovetop dial cranked on high. It took a while to heat up. But the pot is boiling now. So take us back a few years and tell us what has been happening in Oakland that brings us to this point. Sure. So there are really three different things that happened. Uh, one is that the Republican Party has declined in some ways in Oakland. Another is that the Democratic Party has been 
very strategic in its investments in Oakland County. And the third is that there have been these demographic changes. And if we step back a couple decades in Oakland County, you know, it was still one of the two largest counties in the state. It was, you know, had 900,000 to a million residents for decades. It's about 1.2 million right now. But most of those residents were white. Uh, many of them had moved there uh, either before or shortly after the 67 riots. You saw the population of Oakland basically go from around 300,000 to 900,000 between 1950 and 1970. And because of the way that so many white residents moved into Oakland, they were really primed for the sort of city versus suburb politics that defined Metro Detroit for a long time, uh, which really worked to the advantage of uh, a then young politician named Elbrooks Patterson, who started out in the early 70s as an attorney uh, representing uh, the National Action Group, which was a Pontiac-based organization opposed to busing. And as a couple different court decisions happened that made busing an issue that affected pretty much all of Metro Detroit, it became uh, sort of the issue that galvanized the Republican Party really being built in in suburbs in places like Oakland County. Mm. And over time, what you eventually saw, though, is that there was sort of a ceiling to what being a sort of culture warrior could get you. And Brooks hit that ceiling several times. You know, back when he was prosecutor of Oakland, he, he ran for statewide office several times. He ran for Senate. He lost in the primary. He ran for governor and lost in the primary. He ran for attorney general and lost in the general. And, you know, he was basically looking around and trying to figure out what he could do next, what he wanted to do with his life. Uh, And he found basically that the county had changed a little bit and his whole modus operandi, his way of being a culture warrior, wasn't as effective (laughs) as it used to be. And he made a bit of a pivot. And I say a bit because those of us who, you know, have lived in Metro Detroit over the last few decades <laughs> know that, you know, Brooks didn't totally leave behind the uh, culture warrior ability to you know, press on hot buttons, but he was able to sort of trade that in for the most part and instead take on a real sort of business conservatism type, uh, type approach. And he became a cheerleader for Oakland County and attracted a lot of businesses to the county. And many of those businesses deliberately were aimed at getting college graduates and attracting international investment. And one thing he perhaps hadn't really thought about is how all of those new people he would bring to the county were going to vote. And basically, you had the Democratic Party, uh, which for a long time hadn't done very well in Oakland at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And Bill Clinton won the county in 1996. He was the first Democratic president uh, in several decades to, to carry Oakland. But you still had the Democrats struggling down ticket. And what happened basically over the last 20 years or so is really smart, just small seat-by-seat gains by the Democratic Party at the same time that you've had this demographic change that's reached now sort of a tipping point where a lot of these races that were Republican, Republican strongholds became sort of toss-ups and now are sort of lean Democrat. And mm-hmm. that's what you see in areas like Birmingham. It's what you see in areas like Troy which is such a seismic shift from how, you know, we thought of those types of communities just, you know, a decade or two ago. Yeah. So so I remember uh, talking with Brooks about the changes that were happening in uh, Oakland County and what he thought of them and why he thought they were happening. 
And his narrative always wrapped around the idea of black Detroiters and uh, other Mm -hmm. ethnic minorities moving from the city, in some cases, up into Oakland County. Now, there's no question that demographically that's that's true, that that, uh, South Oakland today Mm -hmm. looks a lot more diverse than than it used to be. But I always thought that he he was over relying, I guess, on on that part of the trend, and really kind of blind to what you were just talking about—the the fact that the people he was indeed trying to attract to Oakland in many ways were making it really different. Totally, totally, and. Yeah, Brooks, as you note, he did maintain this idea that it was basically Detroiters that were moving to places like Southfield and, and changing the the way that the county voted. But, you know, when you look at a place, again, like Troy or like Novi, where you've had a huge, huge influx of, in particular, Asian Americans, uh, South Asians moving there, it has changed the way that those communities vote. I mean, you have Troy now, uh, in terms of statewide uh, Democratic votes, Troy provides as many votes for Democrats statewide, at least in the 2020 election, as as does the city of Flint, which is sort of astonishing to think about. And one of the reasons for that is that Troy is now about 25% Asian American in its population makeup. And many of those uh, residents are South Asian. You know, this is why Troy in, in 2018 elected, I believe, the first Hindu American woman in the Michigan state legislature. Uh, you have similar dynamics going on in Novi, though not quite to the same extent. But those dynamics in Novi have have certainly shifted uh, the Democratic Party's ability to compete in a place like that. And so it, it's not quite as straightforward as just people moving out of Detroit uh, into South Oakland, though certainly that is a very real dynamic. You know, people with the means to move out of Detroit mm-hmm. for a long time were moving into Oakland County and creating you know a vibrant black middle class in places like Southfield. But it's a whole bunch of different factors all happening at the same time. And when you make a concerted effort, as Brooks did, to invest in things like, you know, the emerging uh, technology sector and life sciences and medical Main Street and all of these different economic development programs that he did, you're really trying to generate more people with college degrees coming to Oakland County. And so when you're focusing on bringing in immigrants and you're bringing in people with college degrees and then nationally, the Republican Party you know, uh, elects Donald Trump. And as a result of that, immigration and having a college degree are both real hot button divisive partisan issues where like having a having a college degree becomes a strong predictor of how you vote. It really does affect the way that, that it works for Republicans down ticket in places like Oakland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Zach Stanton. Uh, he is deputy editor of Politico's Playbook. He wrote a recent piece in Politico magazine about Oakland County's political shift leading up to 2020. It was titled, As Long as the Party Embraces Trump, It's Going to Have Trouble. Uh, We would love to hear from you during this conversation. We're talking about Oakland County, how it's changed over the years, what it looks like now in terms of the the demographic split, the political split, and what it should look like or will look like in the future and how the GOP maybe needs to take a look inward to determine 
better ways to attract voters in the second largest county in our state. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. Call and tell us how your opinions have changed regarding the Republican Party uh, in recent months or years. Do you think it's becoming more extreme and are you more or less inclined to vote for Republican candidates now than before Donald Trump was elected president? in 2016. Uh, We especially want to hear from you, of course, if you are a resident of Oakland County. Uh, Are you a new resident to Oakland who maybe is part of the political change there, moved there and uh, kind of asserting yourself uh, in a a way that uh, other residents haven't or don't? Uh, Are you somebody uh, who's been in Oakland County for a long time and are witnessing this change. Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can have, or you can go to uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Before we get to listeners, Tom, or Zach, I want to talk about uh, the postmortem uh, mm-hmm. That that the Republicans kind of refuse to 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 be um, uh, the, 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 they've refused to engage in. Um, uh, what is that about? And is that doing further damage to their ability to attract these voters? So what that's about is, I think, in part, it's difficult to do a postmortem on why you lost an election until you are able to admit that you lost an election and you've had over the course of you know month after month after month, uh, sort of denialism from, from Donald Trump about whether he lost the election or whether it was, in his words, stolen from him. And certainly the reality is that he lost the election. But it has made it really difficult for any Republican sort of downstream of him to say, no, he actually lost the election and we should look at why we lost. And that has put the party in a real bizarre situation where they can't really grapple with what exactly happened because they aren't willing to admit what exactly happened. But that has created problems for Republicans down ticket. And and you hear this all over, you know, certainly I heard it from Republicans I spoke to for the piece is that they feel that what has happened is pretty obvious in their eyes. And they remain frustrated by just the Republican Party's I don't know, disinterest even in, in showing up or disinterest in in understanding what's happening and, and really grappling with it in any meaningful way. And so when you look at a place like Oakland County, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of uh, you know, in-depth examination to understand what's happening. It's pretty apparent to everyone that's involved in politics there what's happening. But when you have, again, uh, the Republican Party is just now all shaped in the model of Donald Trump, you know, the appetite for doing that sort of self-reflection isn't really there among a lot of Republicans. It's mm. certainly there among the strategist class and a lot of people in Washington, D.C. But when you look at the leaders of the party now locally, so many of them are either Trumpy in their own inclinations or, uh, you know, the party is dominated by people who are really diehard Trump supporters who aren't going to be interested uh, in accommodating any sort of uh, any sort of postmortem, and and that's a that's a real problem for the party. Mm. Now, what you could say at the same time was that, you know, when the Republican Party did this very very in depth autopsy after the 2012 election, which they lost, 
they came to conclusions about the GOP needing to, you know, be more supportive of uh, of immigration, needing to bring in a more diverse coalition of voters, you know, needing to essentially take a more moderate stance. And then the next election, you had Donald Trump, uh, who was in almost every single way the opposite of what the autopsy uh, had advised. And you know, he he won the electoral college, and so it, it may well be that you know, maybe they aren't going to learn the lessons of the election and maybe they'll figure out a way to make that work anyway. But the lessons of the election are there uh, should they choose to to try and learn them. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter. Put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Dan in the cast corridor. Dan, what's on your mind? Good morning, and uh, Zach, I look forward to reading uh, your pieces. Um, so I'm actually, I live in Casper. I'm actually registered to vote in Oakland County, and I actually switched from voting independent and working on Democrat campaigns to voting Republican because of Trump. Um, I think your classical Oakland County Republican is like a Mitt Romney, right? And this is the type of guy who worked for Bain Capital, right? They sent all the manufacturing jobs over to China. They shut down all the plants in the U.S., they kept the sales and marketing here. They profited off of it. And if that's, you know, the tax cuts, the foreign wars, if that's the type of voter that's in Oakland County now, then I don't even think we want them, right? Um, you know, it's this neoliberal, neocon uniparty. And what we really need is economic nationalism because our state has been ravaged by this globalism. But I think what really woke me up was COVID. Um, I think it was at the very least weaponized to take Trump out of office. Um, the folks at a publication, The National Pulse, every day come out with more evidence how it was man-enhanced, created in the People's Liberation Army lab in Wuhan. And I thought the whole timing of it was totally weird, okay? Like, it was okay for Biden to have a huge rally at Renaissance on March 9th, but come March 10th, you know, oh, no rallies. It was like it was planned that way. And so the whole thing woke me up. I switched to Trump, and I'm an Oakland County voter, so I don't know if that goes against the narrative. Thank you. <laughs> well, Dan, it certainly goes against the predominant <laughs> narrative, uh, but I'm really glad you called and and shared that. That is a really different way to think about it. Uh, Zach, <laughs> what, what reaction do you have to Dan's strategy here? Well, uh, without commenting on any of the COVID stuff, um, I would say you know what what he is pointing to is is sort of a real dynamic in terms of the way that the coalition of the parties has has really changed. You know that that there is this uh, contingent of people who were brought into politics by Donald Trump, where Trump really appealed to them in a way and brought them into the Republican Party, but in doing so, sort of turned off this group that traditionally has been part of the Republican Party. And so that's a real dynamic, you know, that, that people like Mitt Romney, who, you know, again, was the standard bearer of the GOP you know, less than a decade ago, mm -hmm. uh, are now sort of persona non grata and, and get booed at their own state party convention in Utah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic and one that's going to have reverberations for years to come, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Dan, I uh, really appreciate the call and the. Uh, the creative thinking there. Uh, let's go to Ed in Gross Point. Ed, welcome to the show. Well, I, 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 I was a diehard Republican for many years. They've totally lost me, with, with, especially with Donald Trump. But prior to that, they lost me. But so did the Democrats. They, both these parties have split all of the issues up to the point where 
the country is so divided that it's ridiculous. And I've become a staunch supporter of third-party candidates because the two-party system is going to destroy us. Mm. Mm. I've worked two jobs for as long as I can remember. Heck, when I was 13 years old, I was working two jobs. You know, they, they, this country is great. It can, you can do whatever you want in this country, and that's why everybody wants to come here and everybody wants a chance to come here. So yeah, the, the the political party system is broken. So Ed, two party system. Is, so Ed, is Ed, tell me what what you do when you go into the voting booth. Then what 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 choices are you making if you if you feel like and I, th- I don't think you're alone. Uh, if you feel like both parties are not representative of what 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 you want this country to be. I'm politically conservative, but yet I, I'm socially aware. All right. Um, and, and the problem is the two parties have made it so that it's, it's a total diopoly. A third party can't even get a voice because they, they, they say you have to poll so high. Well, all the polls they choose to use to even get into it don't even make any questions about a third party. Mm. And they don't choose the polls that they use until after the polls are done. Mm. So, so, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's ridiculous. The two-party system is going to destroy this country. And unless more people wake up and start taking serious looks at past, I spend weeks and months researching candidates before mm. I even put a vote in. Mm. I do vote for Democrats. I do vote for Republicans. But I also vote for third-party candidates. Yeah. It, because and I, I we're appreciate, going to destroy ourselves. Yeah, I appreciate the thoughts and the call. And, and I think a lot of people feel... The way you do, uh, uh, Zach, th- th- this question of the future of the party also does implicate the future of, I guess, the two-party system in some ways. I mean, there are a lot of people inside the Republican Party I know who are talking about what might happen if uh, if the Trump wing of the party splits off and decides to go on, on its own, or if the more traditional Republicans decide, look, we gotta we gotta do something to to survive. How how likely are we to see something like that result from uh, the era of Trump? No, uh, I don't think we're that likely to see it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, though there are certainly exceptions throughout American history of, you know, there being these blips of third parties really coming into prominence or there being a strong third party candidate, whether it's Ross Perot or even George Wallace in 68, by and large, a two party system is the way that it has worked for a long time. And in part, that's, just the way that our politics work is that it's roughly about dividing everything in half. Um, you know, if you see a fairly standard distribution of where people sit ideologically, you know, you're going to try to appeal to as many people at once as you can without losing uh, a critical mass of them. And so it's about essentially dividing things in half. And what you've seen increasingly over the last decade or two is that there are fewer sort of liberal Republicans and fewer conservative Democrats the conservative Democrats have become Republicans and the liberal Republicans mm-hmm. have become Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so when there is that sort of sorting going on, there are there's going to be less and less overlap between where the parties stand because they don't see uh, a political upside to having a sort of big tent coalition. So I think it makes it inevitable uh, in some ways, but but certainly what you've seen during the Trump years is, is a shift in, in the way that these political coalitions are built and in some ways a hardening uh, of what those coalitions look like. So 
I, I don't think it's particularly likely that there will be a, a third party that comes out of the Republican civil war, for lack of a better term. Hmm. Um, a, a colleague of mine at, at Politico, uh, Jeff Greenfield, wrote a piece about a month ago saying that perhaps even a, a civil war isn't the right way to think about what's happening in the Republican Party. You know, Perhaps it's more like a, a purge at this point where the civil war is over, where uh, Trump effectively won, and, and what's left is just sort of a small you know, rump movement of, of Republicans who are trying to bring back this sort of establishment Republican uh, cohort, but it, it's it's not looking like it's much of a fight at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue this really great conversation with Zach Stanton of Politico about the future of politics here in Southeast Michigan and Oakland County. What that means nationally, we will continue to hear from you as well. Chris and West Bloomfield, John and Windsor, John and Bloomfield Hills, and Amanda and Hazel Park will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Zach Stanton. He's deputy editor of Politico's Playbook. He wrote a recent piece in Politico about Oakland County's political shift leading up to the 2020 presidential election. It was titled, As Long as the Party Embraces Trump, it's going to have trouble. We're talking about the political shift in Oakland County, what it means, how it happened, and what it means for the GOP in the future. What kind of shifts does the party need to make to attract more voters in the second largest county here in the state of Michigan? Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think about what's going on in Oakland County. Are you somebody who has lived in Oakland County a long time and Witness this political shift. Uh, think of the days of L. Brooks Patterson and Republican dominance of local politics in Oakland County. And think of how different it looks now that we have a Democrat in the county executive seat and also in the other executive positions in Oakland County and a majority of Democrats on the county commission. How quickly did that change and why do you think it changed? Uh, do you uh, celebrate the idea that it's different now in Oakland County, or are you somebody uh, who's concerned about those things? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and you uh, will try to work you into the conversation that way. Let's go to Amanda in Hazel Park. Amanda, welcome to the show. Stephen, thanks for having me. Good mm -hmm. morning. And in fact, love the article. I uh, moved to Oakland County in 2008 and got involved with the Democratic Party and worked on numerous campaigns over the last hmm, 10, 12 years. And I remember in 2012 coming off of a really big county win and listening to L. Brooks give a radio interview talking about how he was sitting in a bunker and really blamed it on those people moving into Oakland County and bringing those views and just remember thinking, wow, we have a lot of work to do. And I reset back when they passed the law with the county commission and changed all the seats. 
but we just had to keep going. And personally, it's been amazing to see the changes. I think we still have a lot of work to do, but I think it's all heading in the right direction. Hmm. Wow. Um, Amanda, I really appreciate uh, the calls and uh, the call in the, and, and the comments. Uh, Zach Stanton, to react to what Amanda's talking about here. Yeah, so uh, for people who maybe forgot about this, um, there was, I should say, <laughs> over the first decade of, of the 2000s, the Democrats were, they started off basically at a huge, huge minority on the county commission. Republicans had a 19 to 6 majority on, on the county commission in Oakland County after the 02 election. And bit by bit, Democrats were picking up a seat here, a seat there, such that it was a pretty narrow Republican majority Um heading into redistricting after the 2010 census. And one of the things that Democrats had done quite savvily was to try and target those races, those offices that they needed to capture in order to control redistricting. And the way that county redistricting generally works in in Michigan is that you have five people on a panel that redraw county commission maps in each county. There's the head of the Republican party, the head of the Democratic party, then the county treasurer, clerk, and uh, the county prosecutor. And so Republicans had controlled redistricting for decades in Oakland County. And what the party had done, what the Democratic Party had done was target a couple of those seats. And so if they could pick up two of those three countywide seats, they could conceivably control redistricting. And so they picked up treasurer and they picked up prosecutor. And then faced with the likelihood that Democrats would then control the process, Brooks Patterson um, went to Lansing and talked to the Republican-controlled state legislature and directly made the appeal that the legislature rewrite the rules for redistricting and do it in such a way that he essentially would control redistricting, that the Republican Party in Mm -hmm. Oakland County would control redistricting. And the state legislature did that, and they did it in such a way that the rules really applied only to Oakland County. Um, you know, it, it applied only to counties with a population larger than a million. So that's only Oakland and Wayne. And then further, only to counties that also uh, don't have a charter. Uh, and I believe that's just Oakland County. So he did that and he controlled redistricting and it changed what was a narrow majority into a 14 to 7 Republican majority in the, in the county commission by reducing the number of seats down to 21. And So you had the Democrats really have to start over in some ways, regaining their seats and getting close to a majority. And when I talked about this with with Dave Woodward, who was for a long time the Oakland County Democratic Party chair and is the top Democrat on the county board of commission, the way that he thought about it, and obviously he was frustrated by this all happening, is that it didn't really stop the changes from happening. It just delayed them by like a decade. And so eventually after the 2018 elections, Democrats had gone from having that 14 to 7 minority to having a one-seat majority uh, on the county commission. And, you know, it's just one of the many ways that the politics has changed in Oakland County, where you you no longer have this strong down-ballot Republican uh, group of elected officials in the way that you did uh, a decade or two ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, Amanda, really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Chris in West Bloomfield. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for uh, having your guest, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh-huh. Um, so I am. Uh, I live in West Bloomfield. I uh, am 
heavily involved in democratic politics here, and uh, I was also or- an organizer for one of the constitutional amendments in 2018. And just from an activist standpoint uh, uh, regarding organizing for that constitutional amendment, it was for Proposition 2, or Proposal 2, uh, we had the largest activist team in the state by a long shot. Like, so Oakland County, the fact that Republicans have turned their back on Oakland County, I think it's such a strategic mistake because we have money and time to really involve ourselves in issues that we care about. And when I moved to Oakland County in 2001, I supported uh, George W. Bush. Uh, and now I'm, you know, a, a Democratic activist. So as soon as I switched, I kept going further and further to the left. Um, so I don't know. I know that, like, my neighbor who voted for Trump uh, in 2016 in uh, this past election said he saw a sign that really uh, hit home for him. It said, I might be a conservative, but I'm not stupid. Um so I don't know, once somebody switches and votes for the other party, um, I don't know if that voter comes back, or I don't know if they're lost forever. So it, it'll be interesting to see it play out. But I just don't understand them turning their back on voters like Oakland County voters when there's so much. Like, when we turn, we really turn. So, hmm. uh, Chris, that's a fascinating observation. I'm glad you called. Zach, uh, what do you make of what Chris is saying here? Yeah, you know, certainly the perspective of a lot of Democrats in Oakland County is that they feel like what they're seeing is a shift that is hardening and and that is going to make it more difficult for Republicans to sort of claw back. Uh, You know, Dave Woodward straight up told me that uh, you've had high turnout now two elections in a row and it's been really good for Democrats in Oakland County. And basically, if they can manage that for a third cycle, if they can manage that again in 2022 with strong turnout with a lot of these people who perhaps used to be Republicans voting for Democrats, that in his in his eyes, you have a lifetime voter in the making. And I think that's a very real phenomenon. Uh, and in particular, if you have people whose perhaps party allegiances or party affiliations have, have changed because of Trump, you know, as, as the Republican Party really seems to be doubling down on the Trump direction for the party, uh, it, it becomes difficult to see what exactly Republicans would do, at least in the short term, to try and win back some of those voters. Uh, you know, if you're not allowing there to be Republican elected officials who have a strong identity that is independent of, of Donald Trump, if you're booing people like Mitt Romney, uh, who, you know, is a strong Republican mm-hmm. by any conventional sense of the term, uh, if you're booing people like that because they're not pro-Trump enough, then it, it becomes just difficult to see, you know, who are the officials that you would elect <laughs> who would appeal to these people who you know, are uneasy with, with the Trump direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dave on Twitter has a really interesting uh, question. He says he's interested to hear your opinion, Zach, of Macomb County in 2016. Mm-hmm. Of course, it turned red. 2018 barely reapproved its millage for our suburban bus system here in Metro Detroit. Uh, it is a fast-growing county, adding more sprawl every year, but is getting increasingly polarized uh, politically. What is the what is the prognosis, I guess, for Macomb versus Oakland? They seem headed in different directions. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I should disclose that I am from Macomb County. I, right. I grew up in Macomb. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, it is near and dear to my heart. Uh, yeah, what, what's happening in Macomb is in many ways just sort of the mirror image uh, of what's happening in Oakland. And that's actually one of the ways that I started out on this whole piece was that, you know, a couple months ago I had 
uh, interviewed the pollster, Stan Greenberg, who back in the 80s came up with the term Reagan Democrats. And he came up with it to refer to these sort of blue-collar Democrats who were socially conservative, uneasy with the direction the party was headed back in the 80s. But he came up with the term specifically after having these focus groups in, in Macomb County, Michigan. And he sort of put Macomb County on the map. So when I talked with him earlier this year, I was interested in seeing whether there was sort of a, a mirror image of that whole, you know, Reagan Democrat uh, thing happening with so-called Biden Republicans, with people who traditionally have thought of themselves as Republicans, have been trending towards the Democratic Party for a while, and Biden marked some sort of turning point for them. And after writing this, my editors asked, okay, so if Macomb is home of the Reagan Democrats, where's home of the Biden Republicans? And just instinctively, I said, Oakland County. Uh, and that really set me off on, on this whole reporting expedition. But certainly what you see in Macomb is totally the opposite of what's happening in Oakland. You know, Macomb for decades was Democratic uh, countywide all the way down where you had, you know, obviously Mark Hackle as the county executive, but prior to having a county executive, you had him as sheriff and Ted Wabi as treasurer and a heavily Democratic board of commissioners, um, you know, people like Nancy White, uh, John Hertel uh, leading the commission. And nowadays, you know, I believe Hackle's the only countywide Democrat uh, mm -hmm. currently in office. Um, you know, you it's difficult to see what exactly the Democratic Party should be doing. You know, there are gains that they're making in in some odd places, but you have these, these changing di dynamics, these changing demographics in the county. A lot of the growth is happening sort of north of Hall Road, mm -hmm. and it's in traditionally very strong Republican territory. Uh, and some of those people are, frankly, moving from Oakland County. Um, mm -hmm. And and so it'll be interesting to see how Macomb continues to develop because you are seeing this bizarre mix of new growth that's Republican in the north of the county. You're also seeing demographic changes in the south of the county where places like Warren, which traditionally were overwhelmingly white, are becoming more diverse. Um, you know, you, you have, I believe, I think 15% of Warren's population is now African-American mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. off the top of my head. Uh, and, and that is going to mean some real changes in, in what the politics look like at, at a local level and at a down-ballot level. Um, but certainly what you're seeing is is different than Oakland County, though the one caveat I would say is that, you know, one of the things that's important in politics is to, you know, if you are going to lose, to lose well. And uh, so the Biden campaign, I think, was very smart in realizing that they could afford to lose Macomb County, which they did, but they needed to lose it by a smaller margin than Hillary Clinton had lost it. Mm. And they did lose it by a smaller margin. They lost it by, by I think, eight and a half percent. And that was enough, really, to make up the difference of, of what the vote uh, the vote difference was in, in 20, uh, 2016 between Clinton and, uh, and Trump. Uh, and so if they lose by a relatively narrow margin in Macomb, but then have a blowout victory in Oakland County, uh, that is a pretty uh, good recipe for success statewide. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the future of politics in Oakland County. John in Bloomfield Hills, Nick in Huntington Woods. We'll hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to social media, put comments there, and uh, they can become part of the conversation as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guest is Zach Stanton. He's deputy editor of Politico's Playbook and wrote a recent piece titled, As Long as the Party Embraces Trump, It's Going to Have Trouble. That is about the GOP, which lost the 2020 presidential election, but also lost Oakland County, a jurisdiction here in Michigan that used to be very reliably red. Uh, In the piece, uh, Stanton talks about the echo of that loss in other places around the country, which suggests that the GOP is losing the hold that it once had on suburban voters who are a really key demographic uh, to them being able to win elections. Uh, We want to hear from you during this conversation. Give us a call. Tell us what you think is happening in Oakland County, whether you're excited about it or maybe you're somebody who is concerned about uh, the, the the push toward uh, democratic politics in the second largest county here in Michigan. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's go to John in Bloomfield Hills. John, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, So I'm a third generation Oakland County uh, voter, and I think one of the things that was kind of mentioned in the piece, in addition to the in-county migration, uh, has been really sort of flipping and losing uh, a lot of college-educated and older voters uh, who just don't want the kind of tone or policies they're getting out of the Republican Party. And, you know, this is, a like you said, a process that's been going on all my life. And I really think it, you know, Trump was the last nail in the coffin, so to speak. But it really got going back in 2003, 2004, uh, when you had the National Party, you know, adopting a lot of extreme positions on abortion rights, on LGBT issues, uh, and then tone-wise really becoming, you know, it's us versus them, you're with us or against us, uh, and sort of, taking away that space for the individual voter to say, well, you know, that's not my exact viewpoint, but I'll still fill in that bubble for a Republican because I like other positions. Um, So I think that sort of um, fundamentalist approach to politics where Mm -hmm. you have to believe all of these things in order to be a Republican has driven away a lot of people who previously did vote Republican, Mm. especially in Oakland County. Yeah. John, uh, that's a really great insight. Zach, you know, it's it's funny to hear someone saying that about the GOP because I, I feel like in democratic politics for a really long time, you had the same kind of problem on the on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? This mm-hmm. this, this sense that uh, party discipline had to be enforced uh, in a way that that excluded a lot of people. Now it, it seems like uh, that that uh, that malady has jumped the spectrum and affects the Republicans more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that in Oakland County, you'd have a number of Republican state legislators who were pro-choice on on abortion rights, for instance. Or uh, I know one story that I heard in in, uh, talking to people for the piece um, was 
former state representative Martin Hauerlach, a Republican from Troy, who remembered one instance where uh, Tom McMillan, who was a Republican state representative from the Rochester area, who was sort of a leader in the social conservative wing of the party in the 2000s, um, he remembers him speaking at some Republican event, and he remembers Brooks being uneasy with sort of the, uh, what he saw as the sort of homophobic um, language that McMillan had been using. And according to Martin Hauerlach, Brooks showed up at this event and just strode up to the podium and jokingly uh, kissed Tom McMillan on the face uh, to basically give him a message of like, I don't appreciate homophobia in our party, and I'm just going to show you this. And it's sort of a funny, very Brooksian theatrical thing to do, but it also speaks to the fact that you could have this sort of internal disagreement on a big issue within the Republican Party at the time, where they were both still elected Republicans. They were both still considered part of the party. They were both powerful within the party in their own ways. But nowadays, you don't see that sort of diversity on a whole lot of issues, mm -hmm. certainly in the Republican Party. Uh, and part of that has to do with just the way that the parties are structured nationally, where because the republic because there's such a built-in advantage for republicans and things like the US Senate they can have a fairly homogenous party in a lot of ways whereas democrats you know have to win a whole bunch of different types of groups mm -hmm. and form them into some sort of coalition and that just inherently makes the democratic party sort of need to have a more sort of big ten approach otherwise they lose um, but the republican party doesn't have that sort of same need to have a big tent approach and and that's being reflected, uh, you know, as the last caller said, in in sort of a, uh, I guess, sort of a catechism type approach to what it means to be a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, John, really appreciate the call. Let's go to Dave in Rochester. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, yeah. I was uh, I'm a Oakland County County Republican. I live in Rochester, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I'm a precinct delegate. I go to a lot of the meetings and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. um, the, I, I don't usually believe anything I read in political, but uh, this is a very well thought out <laughs> article. Obviously, it's based on data, so I can't really argue with nearly any of the premises that he's going by. But all of his uh, there's there's still a lot of conjecture and a lot of things that is put forward as fact uh, really doesn't have a whole lot of basis. In fact. And, and starting right with with he thinks Tom McMillan is a is a leader. I mean, he's a self-appointed leader. He's on the state uh, school board right now, so I, I suppose you could think that. Yeah, he's an elected really official. Yeah, um, um, uh, I, I don't think a state school board elected. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, that, so there's a lot of there's a lot of nuts in every party, and believe me, there's no shortage. <laughs> so, so if you go to a meeting up at you know <laughs> if there's a hundred Republicans in a room. I'm, I doubt it's a lot different ratio if you put 100 Democrats in a room to yeah. the people that use <laughs> politics as a religion. They're generally a little off center in the first place. So, so, so Dave, so Dave, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you're 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 a, a Republican and a precinct delegate. Um, yeah. What do you think about the party now and what it's doing and where it's headed? Are you are you okay with it, or are you someone who thinks the it party needs to nationally change? or in in, uh, in Oakland County? Well, either one. I'd I, I'd love to hear your 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 opinion about both. Yeah, neither one is in great shape, and. Uh, nationally, they're in better shape than they are in Oakland County. I mean, it, you have to be blind and not not want to look at data if you think they're doing good in Oakland County. They're doing mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think that that portends that things for the future. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you, yeah, you, I think it's more about I think it's more about candidates than uh, than what your guests think huh. thinks. Yeah. And I think that putting forward Haley Stevens and uh, Alyssa Slotkin, especially as as a centrist, and they're not going to get away with that again. Right, uh, Dave. I um, really it's going to be more difficult next. Yeah, I I really appreciate the call, um, uh, Zach. We've got about two minutes left, but I, I, I'm really curious what your reaction is to what Dave's saying here about candidates in particular being more. Uh, determinative than than party. I think the candidates are hugely important, but the candidates also create a foothold for people to become more associated with the party. Um, and when you have, as you're seeing in the Republican Party right now, an, in, an inability, a disinterest in nominating candidates who aren't pro-Trump, uh, when you're seeing you know part of the party really go after Republicans who supported the impeachment effort against Donald Trump, um, it, it suggests that candidates, of course, do matter, but you're only interested really in having candidates that are pro-Trump. And, and that creates a problem with a lot of suburban districts and a lot of suburban voters who are not on board uh, with the excesses of the Trump movement. So I agree that candidates are hugely important. But And what you're seeing in places like Northern Oakland or, or Western Oakland with people like Haley Stevens and Alyssa Slotkin is that the Democratic Party did put forward people who are moderates, people who are good fits for their district. And that is just sort of the mark of success. That's what both parties really need to be able to do in order to be successful. It's, it's the same thing that you've seen down ticket with Democrats putting forward, you know, Mallory McMorrow for state Senate in the Birmingham and Troy area, or Mari Manoogian in Birmingham. You know, you need to find people who are good fits for the district. Um, and one of the difficulties, again, that the Republican Party is having is that they are having difficulty finding people who are good fits for some of these districts. Gains that they have had in recent years in places like Southern California with Congresswoman Young Kim, mm -hmm. that's someone who's a good fit for that district. But by and large, you know, by and large, a lot of these candidates uh, are being chosen purely based on the litmus test of whether or not they're uh, uh, whether or not they have allegiance to Donald Trump or not, and and that's not ultimately a recipe for success for the party. Yeah. Okay, uh, Zach Stanton, Deputy Editor of Politico's Playbook. It's really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow and we're going to talk about the United States aging population and what it means for our society and for our economy. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more again tomorrow.